Good morning. It's been a long time since I've been up here. Actually, only an hour, but um, before that, it was quite a while. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Larry, and uh, all the regulars are on their way to Tennessee, so we're batting four string this morning with with me. So we're going to uh, we're going to pray, and uh, and then we'll uh, we'll look at uh, God's word and see what He has to say to us. So bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for. I thank you for these people that have come this morning. Father, I pray that your word would speak to my heart and their hearts in terms of how you would have us to live. Lord, uh, uh, that we might learn about you and your ways a little more deeply and understand things that um, maybe previously have been a little fuzzy. Father, I pray that you would bring them into focus and that you would uh, give us a clear understanding of uh, uh, how you want us to live in times of trouble. Father, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So I recently had to renew my driver's license. Anybody here been to DMV recently? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a fun place that is. Um, being the overachiever that I am, I was going to do four things with one visit. Yeah, right. It didn't work out that way, but, but I had best intentions. Um, I was going to... Uh, my my main motivation, and I went in a little bit early, but my main motivation was to get a motorcycle endorsement, and then I had to renew my commercial driver's license. I needed to get the real ID so that if I go on a plane, I can go on a plane, and then uh, the last thing was to have the little stamp that says veterans on my license. So I went in, uh, I went in early another aspect of being an overachiever. I went in early because I had not received my, I had not yet received my notice from, in the mail from Sacramento. And uh, the gal there says, uh, well, to get your motorcycle endorsement, because you're in early and you don't have the, the thing in the mail, the computer is going to kick it out. You're going to have to take all of your tests over again. Whoa. I was not prepared to take all my tests. I was going to take the motorcycle test. That was no problem, but not the rest of the tests. We don't like taking tests. Tests are something we try to avoid at all costs. And I'm no different than everybody else. So, consequently, I decided to wait until I got the notice in the mail. Taking tests are a pain. doesn't matter if you're in school or they're life tests. They're still a pain. And uh, we, don't, we don't much like them. I don't know who said this, but it pretty much hits the nail on the head. Life 
is a succession of tests, for character is only possible through discipline. Let me repeat that. Life is a succession of tests, for character is only possible through discipline. God, in his, excuse me, God is in the business of developing our character through the trials and tests of our faith. This happens over and over throughout the Bible, and it happens over and over again in our lives. One of the things that kind of sparked this study on my part is uh, our Sunday school class. Last week, Hoyt kind of reflected upon their Sunday school class and going through Hebrews 11 and on into 12. The lesson that we were looking at was the first two chapters in Job. First two chapters in Job are, are kind of interesting, unique really, because they, the scene is in heaven. Uh, God and the angels are there, and Satan's already uh, there as well. And God asks Satan, what have you been doing? He says, oh, I've been hanging out down in earth, you know, looking around and stuff. And seemingly out of the blue, God says, have you considered my servant Job? Completely out of the blue. And consequently, Job undergoes those tests and trials that we all know about. But I asked the Sunday school class, I said, how many of you are uncomfortable with the fact that God is the one who brings up Job's name? A bunch of people raise their hand. We are not comfortable going through trials, tribulations, and tests. It's just not in our DNA. We don't like it. We avoid it at all costs. Here's where I want us to end up when we walk out the door this morning. I want us to walk out of here with a little different perspective on trials and tribulations that we go through. I want us to look at them in a new light. Not to be avoided at all costs, but rather to be embraced. And... I hope we can accomplish that this morning. We're going to work our way through a little scripture, and I hope when we're done that we can look at trials and tribulations in life from a little different perspective. If we're going to look at tests and trials, I thought the, the best place to go to is probably the supreme example. One of the supreme examples in scripture is found in Genesis 22. Some of this is, this is going to be a very familiar passage for, for a lot of you. It's Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. Um, there's not anything that's terribly uh, hidden in this passage. It's, uh, it's pretty straightforward, but we find it a little bizarre that God would ask one of his servants to sacrifice his son. And I think we're going to see that it's totally unique to Abraham, and it's very specialized 
to Abraham. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis 22. We want to look at the first 18 verses. I'll be, I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation, so it's probably going to be a little different than perhaps the translation that you have. It's okay just to listen if you, if you want. I know sometimes I'm sitting out there and I'm trying to follow along and the words are different and it's, it's hard to keep up. So um, however you want to do it. Oops, I'm in Exodus 22. Okay, sometime later... God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God said. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early, he saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. <clears throat> As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham! Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by his horns in a thicket. And he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named this place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and not withheld even your son, your only son, I will swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies 
and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. <clears throat> the, first, the first main point I want us to see is that God's tests and trials that he allows are unique to the individual. Abraham is a man of faith. Moses, when he writes Genesis, he spends 12 chapters talking about Abraham and his exploits. Abraham goes through a number of different crises that involve his uh, faith. Will God be able to do everything that God says he can do? And uh, there is a, a whole process that Abraham goes through to uh, get to this point of him sacrificing Isaac. Back in Genesis chapter 15, it's, it's kind of one of those memorable passages in that um, Abraham, or excuse me, God comes to Abraham at night and in a vision uh, offers to uh, protect and give Abram great reward. Abram, Abraham, is concerned about his descendants. He has no children. Hard to have descendants without children. And at that point, Abraham has a servant in his house whose name is Eliezer and, and offers to God Eliezer as his heir. God says, that's not going to get it. That's not going to cut it. Eliezer is not going to be your heir. And God at that point takes Abraham outside and has him look at the stars. I can only imagine what kind of the number of stars that Abraham could see some 4,000 years ago with no light pollution. He looks at the stars and God says, your descendants are going to be as numerous as those stars. And then, then an interesting thing happens. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It's that point when Abraham believes the promise of God and says, I don't know how it's going to happen. Doesn't make sense to me at this point. But I believe it is going to happen. Three times in the New Testament, that passage is quoted for saving faith. So, so Abraham is being brought along a, a process, if you will, of gaining faith through different trials and tribulations in his life. Not any different than you or I. We all have trials and tribulations in our life. One of the things I, I kind of thought of in between first service and now is the trials and tribulations that you have that I know about. I see how you respond during those trials and tribulations. And I see your faith in action. That's, that's kind of what's going on here. When, when Abraham goes on the mountain with Isaac, uh, 
It's, it's to display his faith. Isaac becomes the child of promise. It's Abraham's only son was Sarah. He has another son. That other son, before Sarah had Isaac, Sarah come up with this idea, if you will, for, a, for an heir. They still need descendants. Isaac's not born yet. So Sarah has a, a handmaiden, a servant, whose name is Hagar. And she says to Abraham, how about you and Hagar get together um, as a servant wife and through her, you can have descendants. And so they do that. Um, Ishmael is born. Um, and at one point, God comes to Abraham and, and Abraham says, Oh, uh, oh that Ishmael would, could live before you. Meaning, here he is, he's, he's my son, you know. And God says, nope, not going to happen. He is not the child of promise. He is not going to be your heir. And so God, God rejects Ishmael. He does later on, however, promise Ishmael a number of descendants and blesses him simply, I think, because he is Abraham's son. So at this point, um, when when Sarah has Isaac, um, she's she's ninety, well beyond childbearing years. This can only happen because of God. This is not a natural occurring event. This is only because God does a miracle in, in Sarah's life. <clears throat> the next thing we're going to see is that God's tests are geared to the individual. Abraham has, has had, as we mentioned, a life of tests. This is not his first faith rodeo. He has undergone a number of uh, trials, if you will, um, his nephew Lot got captured by some marauding kings. They had to go to war. Um, the whole ordeal of having a son, that has taken years between uh, God's first promise of descendants and Sarah having Isaac. And years of wondering, how in the world is this going to happen? Because we have no children. Um, Some, some commentators have counted as many as 11 different crises in, in uh, Abraham's life that where, where God said, if you trust me, I'll see you through this. Um, this. This, when we get to chapter 22, it's kind of the pinnacle of, of Abraham's faith test. Um, Isaac is not a child at this point. Isaac's about 25. 
I kind of, that kind of throws things in a little different perspective when you think about Abraham and Isaac walking up the mountain, Isaac carrying the wood, and Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham's no spring chicken either. Um, Abraham has three days to wrestle with what he's been asked to do. Uh, and he comes to the conclusion that both of them are going to come back to the servants. He said, we'll come back to you uh, as soon as we've, we've offered this sacrifice. I don't know just how Abraham was thinking at that point. I think he was confident that Isaac was coming back with him. Hebrews 11 tells us that if he went through with the sacrifice, he believed God would raise Isaac back up from the dead. Um, so, so this is a very crucial crucial time in, in Abraham's life. God has brought him to this point through a number of faith tests that we've talked about. Some of them have not ended up so well. But Abraham has learned from those tests. At one point, Abraham ends up in a foreign land. This happens twice, actually. Kind of hard to believe, but it does. It happens twice. And Abraham, because he's afraid that they're going to kill him, the uh, kings that they're in the land of, he says, well, Sarah's my sister. He conveniently omits the fact that she's also his wife. And uh, while that's not a very stellar faith position, God still protects Sarah. And, and I believe through that, Abraham learns, yes, God is powerful enough to protect my wife even in the midst of great danger and my life in the midst of great danger. God used all these past trials in Abraham's life to bring him to this supreme test. The last point is God's tests are different than the normal tests that we encounter. When I went to the examiner at the DMV, she had no clue whether I was going to pass the, the written or the skills test to get my motorcycle license. She didn't know. And she had no vested interest in it either, so it really didn't matter too much to her. God's not that way. Before Abraham went and chopped wood, God knew the outcome of that test. God knew that Abraham was going to pass that test. So what's the point? Why put Abraham and Isaac through this ordeal? Because the tests and trials of life are not primarily for God's benefit. They're for ours. Abraham is going to learn from 
going through this process of offering Isaac for a sacrifice. <clears throat> his, I believe his relationship with God became much closer because he went through this process. Um, we're never told exactly when Abraham knew he was going to go through it, but it's entirely possible that from the get-go, Abraham was committed to going through the sacrifice for Isaac. He now realizes and he knows that he has unconditional devotion to God. There's no doubt in Abraham's mind at this point. Their relationship, even though it was good before, it has taken on a new depth because he has went through this process. The test is also for Isaac's benefit. I mentioned that Isaac was 25. Can you imagine what it was like to be up on the mountain? Abraham's an old man. Isaac is 25. And Abraham says, I need to tie your hands up. What's this about? So Abraham, or excuse me, Isaac becomes a willing participant in this sacrifice. Not only that, I'm not even sure Abraham put him on the altar all by himself. It could be Isaac had to crawl up on the altar under his own power. I'm guessing Isaac never forgot this day in his life for the whole entire time. He, he always remembered that day when dad showed me his unconditional devotion to God. And this test is for our benefit. We look at Abraham and we see a man who is totally sold out in his faith for God. That's what it looks like. Just like Abraham's faith in Genesis chapter 22. Hebrews 11 gives us numerous examples of people demonstrating their faith so other people see it and are drawn to God. You know, I mentioned earlier trials that you've gone through and we look at you look at other people's lives and you see them going through a trial and you see that demonstration of faith God uses that not in not just in their life but in our lives to see that demonstration of faith in the midst of trials and tribulation God's tests and trials should be seen as an opportunity to demonstrate our faith to the world. The Bible has plenty of examples of people who do and who don't demonstrate faith. 
The very first sermon I ever preached, and this is a number of years ago, was out of Daniel chapter 1. Daniel's a great book for faith. In chapter 1, you have, you have Daniel saying to, uh, to the most powerful ruler in the world, I don't like your food. I'm not going to eat it. In chapter 3, you have the Hebrew children who say, I'm not bowing down to you, and I don't care if you throw us in a fiery furnace. And in chapter 6, you have Daniel saying, I'm not going to quit praying. It doesn't matter if you throw me in a lion's den or not. I'm not going to quit praying. Daniel chapter 1, the, the, the really, what I found was really remarkable about the whole thing. Daniel is a, a youth, a teenager. Him and three Hebrew children, get, and along with a number of other youths, Hebrew youths, get marched across the desert and get put in the king's court to be uh, raised up in the Babylonian culture. Daniel and the three Hebrew children say, no, it goes against our, our Jewish upbringing. We're not going to eat your food. What about all the other guys? What are their names? We got no clue because they didn't stand up and say anything. They just went along with, with eating the king's meat and eating the king's food. And Daniel was the only one who displayed the faith that said, I'm not going to violate what God has told me to do. Their names are lost in a sea of mediocrity. We'll never know them. Most of Israel, through their history, is kind of like that. They fail to display faith. It's <clears throat> there are some notable names that we know that have trouble at times displaying faith. Peter's one. Remember him in the courtyard? Denied Jesus three times. Later on, on Paul's first missionary journey, there's a young man named John Mark, and he bails on him, turns around and goes home. Interestingly enough, when we fail in our faith, God doesn't throw away the key. He doesn't, he doesn't say, okay, that's enough, I'm done. He uses that to teach us what we're going to know for the future. He did that with Peter. Later on, he did that with John Mark. And he does that in our lives. You can probably think of some instances where you were less than stellar in your faith. God didn't give up on you. He doesn't do that. He continues to work with us, to mold us, and to shape us into the people that he wants us to be, to learn from those experiences. Just like Abraham learned from telling those kings, yeah, Sarah's my sister. Less than stellar performance, but he learned through those experiences. The Bible is also full of people who we see um, using the trials and the tests in life as an opportunity 
to demonstrate their faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is, is a great chapter. It, it talks about ordinary people displaying extraordinary faith in the midst of their trials and tribulations. Um, <clears throat> the best part of Hebrews chapter 11 is the first two verses in chapter 12. And I'd like for you to, to turn there if you want, or just listen to me as I read it. Hebrews chapter 12 kind of sums up the whole, the what's the big deal about chapter 11? The writer says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. What's the point of Hebrews 11? It's so we can learn from those people in the past, so we can look at other people's lives and see how they demonstrated faith in the midst of the trials that they went through. We all go through trials. I don't think there's a person in here who has not gone through trials or tribulation. It's just a part of life. And in order for trials to be trials, they got to be tough. If it wasn't tough or hard, it wouldn't be a trial. So it's not an easy thing. It's a hard thing to demonstrate faith in the midst of trials. That's why we have the examples in the Bible. And I don't know if you've ever... I, I tend to shy away from verses like James chapter 1 where it says, count it all joy when you go through various trials. What's that about? Nobody volunteers for a trial, right? Nobody, nobody's, nobody's saying, hey, you know, I want to go through hardship in my life. We avoid it like the plague. We want the yellow brick road. No bumps, no chuck holes, just a nice, smooth, even road. That's not life. I... I tend to kind of put those verses like James on the back burner because eh, I understand what he's I, mean, I, I, I understand what he's saying, but I don't really comprehend it. Until until now. I believe the reason James says count it all joy is because you know number one. God is working in your life. He's going to change your life through these trials, through this hardship. He's going to draw you closer to him. You're going to learn to rely upon him. And he's going to mold and shape you 
into the person he wants you to be. And I believe there's a second reason. It's an opportunity, if we look at it from God's perspective, it's an opportunity to demonstrate our faith to those around us. That's what God is in the business of doing. He takes those things that are ugly in life and uses those for his purposes. Um, Real quick, turn to to Romans chapter 5. I want to read verses 3 through 5. Paul Paul says about the same exact thing as as James does, but he kind of spells it out in a a little different different language. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When I look back on the trials and tests of my life, They've not been fun. I don't imagine your trials and your tribulations have been fun either. Some of you I know fairly well. I know they haven't been fun. But through it all, God takes what is not fun. God takes what is sometimes very ugly, very hard, very difficult. And he uses them to accomplish his purposes. That's what makes God, God. You know, you or I, we couldn't do that, even if we had a little power, but we don't. God has the power to take something that is hard, that is no fun, and turn it into something that is beneficial for our lives. That's the neat thing about our God. And and because we know God loves us so much, we know that it's for our benefit. You know, this whole thing about character, I guess I've grown in character through my trials, but I hate to admit that. Because if you say you grew in character, that means, well, before the trial, you probably didn't have it. So <laughs> you don't want to admit that. But, but it's all beneficial. God takes it and he, and he uses it for our benefit. He molds us and shapes us into something that conforms to the image of Jesus. I hope that because we've been here, because we looked at Abraham's life and seen how he dealt with a test, really, a unique test, um, totally unique to Abraham. I hope that we can look at those trials and tribulations in our lives from a little different perspective, not just from our own little world, but from God's perspective. This is now an opportunity for us to be conformed, to be changed, to be molded, to be shaped, to demonstrate 
our faith in the midst of a trial. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, for Abraham. What a great man of faith. Lord, I, it just amazes me how, how strong his faith is, how he could undergo these, these trials and these tests. Um, Lord, it just, uh, it's almost incomprehensible. Father, I pray that as we go through trials and tests and tribulations in life, that you would help us to see things from your perspective, how they are an opportunity to demonstrate our faith. Father, I thank you for, for your word, which, which sheds light on life and gives us uh, that straight path to, to understanding what life is really about. Thank you, Father.